The Start On Demand. On demand. Have you ever thought of quitting social media? This week in particular has been an angry week on social media. Now the hashtag is Fire Jess Allen. She is a correspondent on CTV's The Social, and she is under fire for comments she made about worshipping at the altar of hockey and white boys who aren't very nice as part of their conversation on Don Cherry, many people calling for her to be fired. So we're actually going to speak to a Winnipeg writer who has taken a break, at least from Twitter, because he just can't handle the never-ending negativity. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Thursday, November 14th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Guys, the results are in. Oh, Yesterday, we asked a very important question. Oh, yes. At CJOB.com and on Twitter. Which of these four popular former Winnipeg restaurants would you like to see come back? Interesting contrast here. So at CJOB.com, 36% said Bonanza, 32% said Chi-Chi's, 18% said Grapes, and 15% said Shakey's. Okay? So that's at Mm CJOB.com. On Twitter, where we've had... Over 1,100 votes so far, thanks to everyone who voted. Holy smokes. 53% said Chi-Chi's. So landslide victory on Twitter for Chi-Chi's. Hmm. 21% say Bonanza. 17% Grapes. 9% Shakey's. And we got all kinds of wonderful suggestions. It was a great trip down memory lane. Bombay Bicycle Club. The Paladin. What is the Bombay Bicycle Club? That was on Grant, right? Yeah, so where the Pony Corral is now at the Grant Park Shopping Center okay. in that uh, yeah. corner of the parking lot. And was it what kind of restaurant? It was sort of uh, sort of a grapes type of place. Was there bicycles in kind it? Of that, yeah, there <laughs> Did were. Did you bike there? Like, was it a club? You did Membership? not have to bicycle <laughs> Short there. Shorts? I don't even know if they had a bike rack out front, <laughs> but they did have bicycles, I think, hanging inside as part of the decor. It uh, was, yeah, one of those kind of sort of higher end family restaurants. It was, <laughs> it was, it was good. Well, I put my phone away for a few hours yesterday and I picked it back up and I was like, what in the fresh, you know, what is yeah. going on with all these like mentions and tweets? And then the, the bicycle club is the one that stood out. I was like, someone, is someone drinking while they write this? I've never heard of this one. And the wagon wheel got a lot of love as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. And aren't they doing a pop-up or something? We had heard what? something about that, but I, to we haven't been able to house, confirm right? that. That's one of those great rumors going mm-hmm. around. So yeah, if you know something about that, let us know. I've heard their clubhouse was legendary, oh, but when I finally so went to go to it, I think it had just closed. Uh, so I was disappointed to arrive and find out it was gone. Anthony Calvillo, the former quarterback of the Montreal Alouettes, that he says that's his favorite sandwich anywhere in the world was the Wagon Wheel Club. Really? House. Yes. Oh, man. Said it on national television. So, uh, yeah, legendary and delicious. So we appreciate all the votes at CJOB.com. Thank you for the trip down memory lane. And it left us all hungry, by the way. Uh, we were all starving yesterday morning. Greg, what did you end up doing for lunch? Jeff Braun and I went to <laughs> Red Lobster okay. because uh, lobster is my favorite food and ended up going for lobster bisque soup. It, it's, ah, you had the bisque. You had the bisque. <laughs> and you know, it, it's a little bit high in sodium, I believe. You can actually taste the salt in it. Yeah. 
did not matter. Yeah, and and yeah. those biscuits. That's why you went. You didn't go for the biscuits. I'm not. I, oh, yeah. It's all <laughs> about the bisque for me. But for Braun, I think it's all about the biscuits. He gave me some very good tips on the biscuits that I cannot share publicly, oh. but I'm prepared to share with you privately. Oh, wow. Well, that, you know, you can make those yourself, right? They have the boxed red yes. lobster and they taste exactly the same. Really? Yeah. What's so special about the. I've never been to Red Lobster, believe it or not. Oh, my. What's so they, special about the biscuits? Well, they're, they have the right amount of like crunch and softness, but a buttery texture with just a pinch of salt that makes you feel as if you are on the Atlantic dipping your toe into the water. I didn't know Rachel Ray was co-hosting with us this morning. That was very good, Loren. Well done. Well, now They're I'm delicious. They're, like, you'll have nine of them. But if you go to a seafood place to eat biscuits... I don't want to fill up on biscuits. But you, but you still, well, like, there's like four ounces of crab in any crab. Like, you're not filling up on that. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Okay. One day, maybe I'll go for you're the actually bis- gonna, and biscuits. You're actually going to probably burn calories cracking open those crabs, trying to figure out how to get like just one morsel of. Is that why people enjoy the, the oh, crab? Oh, I, and the, I and think the lobster? people like people. I, my, my mom, my sister, they love crab, mm-hmm. and I think it's because it's giving you permission to just get messy. Oh, and it's and the like, butter, and you can scratch. Yeah, but you can break things, and it's kind sure. of like you get to rage a little bit. You know, a bad day. I'm like, this crab's gonna get it, <laughs> and then you get to dip it in butter, and it's delightful. The mallet. Do we you have get anything to else smash. to talk about today? Because I could talk about crab for a while. Well, here's the we question. Can, you know what's nice? You know what's nice? We have four hours, and we can sure. basically talk about whatever we want. Well, the question of the day for yesterday afternoon. Was it about crab? No. I was like, what's the segue? This is delightful. Well, this is something else we can talk about. The question of the day for yesterday afternoon. We could make this morning's question about crab. Uh, Question of the day, by the way, brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca. Call 204-987-6890. Manitoba's use of photo radar will be undergoing a review. Have you ever been caught on it. Oh, yeah. And 43% say no, 38% say yes only once, and 18% say yes many times. Mm. Appreciate that honesty to say, yeah, I've been busted a bunch of times. You know, I was going through that news release yesterday, and there's a word that stood out, which you would never use in your daily like conversation, but it was efficacy. Oh, yes. <laughs> right? You know, I want to test the efficacy of this. But what they mean is something we've been saying for years is like, okay, I got, I got no problem. If I get caught, I'll pay that ticket. Sure. But if the point is to be safe or to get people to slow down, is, it, is working? it working? Is it actually effective in all those intersections? So I can't wait to talk more about the efficacy of photo radar this morning. <laughs> and it's the red light cameras. Those are one thing. And then the other is the photo radar in the school zones. And I've been very vocal about how I feel about those. I'm all in favor of the 30 kilometer an hour zones being slower around schools. But I do not like the way they plant these vehicles In the exact same spot every single day. That tells me that there's enough going on there that you need to change what you're doing. And that's where, you know, uh, I think uh, bravo and kudos to the province for taking a look at this. Something that has been divisive here in Manitoba, even amongst people who believe in the idea of this type of enforcement are not entirely in favor of how it's conducted and how it's rolled out and how it's used. Yeah, I'm with you there. I I have no problem with the photo radar. It has gotten me to slow down over yeah, the I think years it has me too. to the point where people behind me get annoyed because I I'm that guy who will hover right around the speed limit I'll maybe go five over that's usually my cap and there'll be people right on my tail mm-hmm. but they're you know the like I often will drive up Academy or Grant and there's always always photo radar on mm-hmm. both of those streets doesn't matter what time of day but the this the holidays 
you know, that stuff drives me nuts. Like it should be all year or I think not at all. So, so. for you, you're saying though it works. It worked for me. Right. Got me to slow down. Yeah, for sure. In the intersections where I know it is, then you then you slow down. So if there's numbers out there that show that we've got far less collisions at what used to be high collision intersections, or we have way less people speeding, or like you know they used to hand out a zillion tickets and now it's just a million. Great. I just like I'd, we'd like to see all that data. Yeah, well, and the uh, whole idea that it's not even uh, police that decide where these things go. It's like a secret sanctum, like the star chamber. They get together and they go, <laughs> okay, this is where we're going to put them today. <laughs> <laughs> I want in on that meeting. <laughs> Question of the day at cjob.com has been updated. It's brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. With all the negativity online, have you ever considered quitting social media? Your options are yes, I tried to quit but came back, I've taken breaks, or no, I'm hooked. Cast your vote at cjob.com and on Twitter at 680CJOB. And that's the question of the day because this week in particular has been Hulk smash angry on Twitter. Oh, cancel culture, the whole Don Cherry issue, and now there's something else. I think it's highlighting how passionate we are about hockey, Loren, and it came out of the Don Cherry situation, something that's happening on one of our competing television stations. So this is a hashtag that's been trending on social media for the past maybe 36, 48 hours, and and frankly, it names a woman that I'm going to guess many of you have perhaps never heard of, at least until now. We're talking about Jess Allen, and she's one of the hosts of the CTV show, The Social. And the hashtag that's making the rounds is Fire Jess Allen. So on Tuesday, the hosts of the show were talking about Don Cherry, like many talk shows all over the country have been for several days now. And they asked the question, why has this struck such a nerve with so many Canadians? Here's what Jess Allen said. I think it struck a nerve because I'm told he's a Canadian icon and he's a symbol of the great sport of hockey, which is the sport that unites us across this country. And that narrative is the one that strikes a nerve with me because I don't worship at the, the altar of hockey. I never have. And maybe it's because of where I grew up, but there's, there's a, and going to a couple different universities, there's a certain type of person in my mind, in my experience, who does. And they all tended to be white boys who weren't, um, let's say, very nice. They were not generally thoughtful. They were often bullies. Uh, their parents were able to afford to put them, you know, spend $5,000 a year on minor hockey instead of $5,000, a lot of money. You could do other things besides spending your time in an arena. You can go on a trip and learn about the world, see other things, eh? You know, like it's, it, the place is a, the world is a big place. Maybe get side out of that bubble. And for me, Don Cherry is the walking and talking representative of that type. Mm-hmm. And he's a type of person... Okay, my first reaction to this is right out of the gate. She says, I'm told he's a Canadian icon. Yeah. You don't have to, quote, worship at the, the altar of hockey to know that Don Cherry is a Canadian icon. Right, so, for many so Canadians. So you're purposefully uh, pretending that you don't know who he is or you, you, you are willfully blind to who Don Cherry is in our culture. So that that probably set some people off on the wrong foot. But this whole generalization and the the judgment 
in her comments are really setting people off. That I don't, you know. Well, there's come a lot. There's a lot that was said there. So first, in the back end, there there was a conversation about the money that's being spent on hockey. And there's been parents and hockey analysts that have talked for years about the idea that there's there's something shifting, and where many parents are spending too much money, are putting their kids in hockey eleven months a year, and all that kind of stuff. But that that's still judging the idea that if. I, as a mom, have the money to put my kid in hockey. And at at our age stage, it's not $5,000, but whatever. I'm sure it gets there at some point. Why do I have to be judged for that? So that there's that judgment part there about the idea of what parents are doing. Right. That's, that's one part of the conversation. But then I just want to replay the part again, um, which was the first part of the comment that I think has generated most of the out- outrage. I don't worship at the, ho- the altar of hockey. I never have. And maybe it's because of where I grew up, but there's, there's a... And going to a couple different universities, there's a certain type of person in my mind, in my experience, who does. And they all tended to be white boys who weren't, um, let's say, very nice. They were not generally thoughtful. They were often bullies. So some of the comments you'll read on social media, and there are a ton of them, are are, are raising the question... In the context of John Cherry, did she or didn't she do the same thing? When he called immigrants you people and claimed newcomers don't wear poppies, was she also then stereotyping and and using the phrase white boys? Is there not a a correlation to be made there? And so that's one of our questions this morning. Do you find it to be on the same vein? I think it's worse. Really? Yep. Why? Just because of how how expressive she was, how definitive she was in her experience— doesn't using that phrase to preface what she had to say doesn't absolve her from outing people based on their race. And I understand that might have been the experience that she had, but man, that is that is a a, a really far far line and a, and a and a long bridge to cross there to take that from your experience and to say what she said the way she said it. I, I have a genuine problem with her her using race in any any sense with regard to how she's feeling about this. Why is that necessary? Yeah, so a lot of the comments on Twitter, for example, Daryl wrote, here's the double standard. The use of white boy is okay, but you people isn't. And then Bruce posted that the shows like this spread bigotry and divisiveness more than anything. And now hockey families are the target. Certain type of person, white boys, racial and social profiling of any color is wrong. That was from Bruce. And then locally, Michelle Bailey, who's been on our show before, just said she put herself in the same league as Cherry. See what I did there? So you don't like hockey. So don't. Not everyone finds what you do interesting. Interesting. I guess all athletes and every sport a parent supports is bad in your world, which is a bigger question, too. Yeah, well, certain type of person and you people are, are exactly the same thing. She took it a step further in my mind. Than, than Don Cherry did. She actually outed a particular race in her comments. Do you think that it's because it's still somewhat socially acceptable to say negative things about white men? I don't know why it is, but for some reason it seems to be. Well, I think that, so I think that I, and I've heard arguments and I've been reading through all the comments and trying to figure out how I feel about this. I think, and I even got an email the other day from one of our listeners about the idea of the use of white and not white in context with Don Cherry. And my feeling would be, and I'm still working through this, so bear with me, would be the idea that it's only in more recent years that that white male has come under attack in the way that's caused sort of that feeling of, whoa, whoa, you're coming after me. And that might be the post-Donald Trump thing. It might be the far right thing influencing all that kind of stuff. Whereas there's all sorts of other races who have spent centuries 
being under attack. That there's been a privilege extended to the white man for I know where it comes from. Hundreds of years. Sure. And so, oh, yeah, you're feeling kind of bad that you're being under attack for the last two years. Too bad. That's one of the, those prevailing sentiments. And, I, and so there might be just more of a history at play with everything else versus what's happening now. And the big difference here, to get back to what Jess Allen said, and I, I want to put it succinctly because I didn't do that off the top. I think the idea for me is that 80% of what Don Cherry said and what he was trying to say I can get behind. I know where the sentiment comes from. Not what he said about who's not wearing poppies, about the idea that not enough of us are wearing poppies. Him expressing his pride in Canada, in soldiers, in their sacrifice. I don't know what she's standing up for here. But now it becomes this tit for tat thing because the whole other thing because of that, because of this comparison is like, he got fired, so she should get fired. But what is she standing up for? What does she want better? I don't understand who she's proud of in this situation. All she's doing is putting a, a certain group of people down. There, there's no positivity coming out of this whatsoever. Well, on Wednesday, the social opened with Jess Allen acknowledging that she, quote, struck a nerve with many people. She said she was only speaking to her own experiences with specific people who were hockey players. So we're going to continue the conversation in a moment. We want to talk about whether or not... We like social media. Have we ever decided to take a break? Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. Kelly Moore is here. Jeff Braun, Jeff Fortier. We're talking about social media. It's been a particularly divisive week, first with Don Cherry, and now with this fire Jess Allen thing. Jess Allen is a correspondent on CTV's The Social, and she made comments about white boys and the altar of hockey that have people rather unhappy with her. So now we want to ask the question, have you ever considered quitting? Social media. Yes. Kelly, Kelly, you call it, was it unsocial or anti-social? Anti-social media. That's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) There are times when it is so hardening. You know, the the last time I can remember watching something on social media, and it was just uh, great, and there have been many times, but uh, when uh, Shaq went to that basketball practice in, 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 I think it was in Virginia or somewhere, and all of a sudden, all the police officers show show up. Everybody's having fun. The kids in the neighborhood are all shooting buckets. You know, those kind of things are are what social media should be for. But regrettably, uh, it's not always that case. So, yeah, I, I you ask when have we ever thought about uh, dumping? I think about it every day. Mm-hmm. I, I <laughs> hate Twitter. I and I was very late to the Twitter party. I only signed up for it last year. I I resisted as long as I could but eventually decided, no, I should be on Twitter because of my job. Yeah. And to be fair, it, it can be fun. Like we put that poll up yesterday. What's your favorite uh, restaurant from the past that yeah. you'd like to see come back? And we got over 1,100 votes, and it was a wonderful trip down memory lane. But even in there, there was still some negativity, people complaining, why isn't this restaurant one of the options on the poll? And we put specifically <laughs> in the tweet, if you have another suggestion, <laughs> weigh sure. in. We uh, can only have four options, but... So even in a positive environment, you can't escape negativity. So, And I find Twitter to be the worst. Although, to be fair, Facebook as well, where there's more room to really rant and rave, uh, Facebook can be really rough. I took a break from... I have a personal and a professional Facebook account. I was I got off my personal one all summer and also uh, deleted the Instagram app for the summer. And 
part of it wasn't it wasn't necessarily the negativity as much as it was. I felt like I was just looking through it too much. Like, and and why do you why do I care? I mean, you you end up with like six hundred friends, and you only care about I don't know twenty two of them. I'm making up that number, and you're just wasting your time. So it was a time sucker as part of it. And now I'm considering with Twitter, I can't, I can't, I can't accept that there's that many people out there that are so mean like it, it it's so disheartening it's not about personal attacks it's no, about watching it's just, them attack somebody else yeah. and i and i have a hard time believing that is there this many awful people in the world like you're all awful and would people talk like that if they were to be sitting around a table together and actually sing face to face right that's yeah but yeah, i do find that social media can be very entertaining and like you said waste time sometimes i have time to waste it's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> true <laughs> you don't have two kids you got to get the hockey and soccer on a regular basis though. i'm a single guy so yeah. i got all the time in the world you're a single guy maybe i'll let you scroll through twitter on my behalf then jeff yeah, because I'm... i'll tell you after tuesday i was ready yeah, i was ready idea. to quit yeah you could hire, hire a somebody. twitter yeah <laughs> Maybe there'll be a twit robot soon. I would like that a lot because, you know, for our job, it is a great place to see in a snapshot in about two or three minutes, everything that's going on. News breaks there first. Don't have to tune into uh, 47 different applications, radio, TV stations. Go one place, scroll yeah, through. It, and saves pretty, me it saves me a ton of time. Having to like hunt websites to see if, oh, did what's his name post a review of this yet? I don't have to go looking for it. He'll it shoot it at you. me via Twitter when he's when he's mm-hmm. ready to go, right? So, so it's on demand. Yeah. So there is that benefit. However, I like that. I'm I'm pretty good at being able to like the regular feed doesn't have a lot of hate in it. I've just curated it so I don't I I won't yeah. follow. You I can o- I mostly it. follow that's the, like you know, a good corporations point. and professionals and comedians. So I make like my feed's got a lot of jokes in it because I've. Every stupid Twitter account that does something dumb. There's one that only quotes the mayor of Jaws <laughs> pertaining to current news stories, and it's just hilarious. Oh. Anyway, so, things but, like but that. You're making a good point because you can control it. Like you can yeah. reduce the friends in your Facebook list. Yeah. You could reduce that on Instagram. You can Twitter. You could just follow people. You can people. block people. Block you, everybody you a, think is angry. There's a drop then, 30-day block on Facebook that's available, and I only do 30 days because it's people I like, but it's like, you know what? You're, you're getting on my nerves. Boom, you're gone yeah. for a month. Right. See you if see you begin in a month. And, a time I, and at this point, it's about, I would say about 40% of my Facebook friends that are regular contributors to Facebook are blocked by me. So, really? Yeah, my Facebook feed is very small. <laughs> <laughs> but my sister who lives in Ottawa, you know, posts cute pictures of my nieces, so I can't quit Facebook. Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah. You can you can reach family when they live far away, so, yeah. which is a great positive, so you can always see what's going on in their life. So that's a, another positive, I guess. I think that's why most of us joined Facebook once upon a time, were you, was were to connect out? with yeah. people and to have positive interaction, to see those pictures, to find out and Catch up with those that you hadn't seen in a long time. Find out what they're up to and let them know what yeah. you're up to. And then it turned into this whole monetization situation. And then the idea of sharing your political opinions. And then, <laughs> oh. and then the calling people started. out and putting them down. And then, oh, my word, it just degenerated and then what are you into something for breakfast you didn't want. Or look what I'm having for lunch. <laughs> but, and then there's the misinformation. 
that it spread yeah. and proliferated oh, yeah. through, right? And how many times? And, and sometimes it's your own friends, and you're like, oh, come on, so-and-so, you're not stupid. Like, that's an old story from <laughs> yeah. 1992, or yeah. that's false, or it's already been debunked, or, you know, like, it's, it's that's part of it, too. <sighs> I spent many years on Twitter, like, being snarky at stuff, even, like, easy stuff, like, a, like, Live tweeting during the Oscars or whatever, snarking yeah. on that. But I've made a conscious effort the last couple of years to try to only put out positive things. I don't yeah. always, I know, it I always, don't always succeed yeah. at it, but <laughs> I've tried. We so often come back to Seinfeld, but Seinfeld. <laughs> there's that one episode when they're at the Chinese restaurant. And they're trying to get into the restaurant, and uh, and Elaine suggests that Jerry go to the movie by himself, and he goes, "Well, who am I going to make sarcastic exactly. comments to?" <laughs> <laughs> and really, that's what Twitter has degenerated into. A lot of people, it's those sarcastic comments that you would make out loud, loud only with your closest friends. Now you're doing it to thousands of people at a time. Text message at 204-780-6868 on quitting social media from Tim. Yeah, I love Tim. I will be the last man on earth not to join Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. Never have, never will. Just call me when the world is about to end. Leave a message because I'll probably be walking the dog. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Tim. And it's probably a landline then, I'm guessing. No cell phone to reach him at. Well, he's texting us, so. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> mm. Boy, all cylinders not firing this morning, Tim. Boy, that was a oof, that is embarrassing. All right, let's just move on to photo radar. <laughs> Save the tape. <laughs> the Manitoba government says it's going to review photo radar, a traffic enforcement tool that critics have said is more about money. Then road safety. Photo radar has been used in many areas of Winnipeg since 2003. Five years after we started this program, the first iPhone came into the market. And since then, we've had 11 different iterations of the iPhone. And it's probably time we review the technology of our photo radar. As a fan of analogies, I liked that one from Infrastructure Minister Ron Schuler. He says the review will look at where and how photo radar is used and whether it is meeting its aim of improving safety. So we know there are fixed cameras at many red light intersections. There's mobile cameras frequently set up in schools and construction zones. We've heard in the news, Ron, with Jeff Braun from opponents like the group Wise Up Winnipeg saying the technology has not improved safety, but has instead served as a money stream for governments. Here now is more from Global's Brittany Greenslade with what the review will entail. They're supposed to help catch speeders and make the roads safer. And now a review of photo radar enforcement is going to see if that's true. I think this is a very positive uh, thing for us. Uh, this is going to give the opportunity for photo enforcement to really uh, show the value uh, of, of what photo enforcement can do. There are fixed cameras at many red light intersections. Mobile cameras can only set up in school zones, construction zones, or playgrounds. Police are hoping to expand to other locations with the review. We would like to be able to deploy in places where high-speed corridors, where it's maybe unsafe to do traditional style enforcement, where we know there's uh, an identified safety concern and speed problem. And that may include just a uh, high level of pedestrians in, in a high-speed location. It's the first review since photo radar started here 17 years ago. And one critic says it's long overdue. About time. It's about time. They, they've been taking money from the people of Manitoba, uh, particularly Winnipeg, uh, for, since 2003. 
More than 141,000 tickets were issued in 2018. Critics say photo radar has become more about generating cash than road safety. There was no construction happening on the roadway. They made a killing from that this year. Uh, also, uh, on statutory holidays. The province hasn't said if scrapping the program altogether is an option, only committing to reviewing all aspects and its viability. Brittany Greenslade, Global News. I hope this comes along with a review of all street engineering, period. How we move cyclists, pedestrians, transit vehicles, cars, trucks. It's just gotten to the point where it feels as though it's all built against us. That, that there's nothing that works for us anymore. And maybe this is a negative mood I'm in this morning, but it just, when's the last time? I think the only time where I go, oh man, was that money well spent, is when I take Chief Pegwis Trail. And even <laughs> then, and even then, the light cycle is mucked up every once in a while, and it feels as though, yeah, they just had to put that traffic sing- signal there and time it just to get in my way. And I try not to be, it's all about me, but let me tell you, it's very seldom that I go anywhere in this city feeling really good about how we have things set up and, and that it's safety uh, priority one, and efficiency priority one. It just feels like we're always battling against something. I, I I love that they're doing this because it's long overdue. My next question is, I, will they review how that money is spent and when Please. it's collected? Like, what's it going towards? Because would you feel better? You remember we had that parking expert on a few months ago, and he talked about the idea that parking money and parking tickets collection should then go back into the streets that the money it was right. collected from. So if the photo radar happened at, what was my ticket at, Keniston and... Corden, is that where there's a camera there? Yes. Yeah. I was right behind you were right you. behind me. That's why we remember. <laughs> um, so I got a ticket there and paid it. it. Would I feel better if I knew that was going into, you know, widening or the potholes on that road? Is that is that helpful? Or, or do you like that it goes into the police budget or the city budget for all sorts of uses? Right? And I've made the analogy with the, with the school zones, right? There's one school zone not far from here, right on St. Matthew's, where the photo radar van is there every single day day, which means they can justify putting it there every single day because they're catching enough people going too fast. And so I would insist that part of that is not just because people are ignorant of the rules, it's because they're unaware that they're entering a school zone and that changes need to be made in that school zone if it's all about safety do everything you can to make it safer, and I'd be totally fine with two-tier school zones, ones that have flashing amber lights, uh, school zones that have raised pedestrian crosswalks, and if people still want to speed through there, double their fine. But don't tell me it's about safety when you haven't invested one of those dollars raised coming from that photo radar camera into making that area safer for anyone, pedestrians, cyclists, motorists, nobody is safer because of of what you're doing there, at least because of the revenue that's being generated. Text us at 204-780-6868. What do you think of this photo radar review? Like sands of the hourglass, these are the days of our lives. Headline grabbed my attention yesterday at globalnews.ca. Days of our lives cast reportedly released 
From contracts. Come on now. <laughs> McNabb, did you ever watch Days of Our Lives? Oh, yeah. Yeah? I definitely on and off, like, as a teenager. And then I do remember, I think it was my second year in university. And I, I can't remember the storyline. It wasn't, I think it was something to do with Marlena. But maybe she had an evil twin. I don't know. And I would regularly like be faced with the decision of, do I skip class? Like, I, <laughs> and they only had like three hours of class a day, and I, you know, it would fall in this afternoon session, and I'd be like, oh man, this is a, this is a pivotal moment in days of our lives. So Jack and Jennifer, whatever was going on with them, and then Jack left, and there was a fake Jack, and when Marlena got possessed by the devil, that's when I was out. Yeah, I, I I dabbled in Days of Our Lives. I dipped my toe in the water because I was a Young and the Restless fan. My mom watched Young and the Restless and I ended up getting hooked when we went to Florida. In like 1989, we went down to Florida and we were, we, we mom wanted to watch Young and the Restless. We all had to watch Young and the Restless. Sure. So I got hooked. It was Cassandra was the oh. storyline. Remember with the dry ice, the gun in the dry ice? Sure. The guy was going to frame it or... Uh, Make it look like suicide or whatever. She comes back like every five years. Does she? You know, it's a die? different. It's a different oh, character. It's a different character. Oh, it's okay. quite hilarious. But uh, so I was young and the restless guy. I tried Days of Our Lives, but yeah, that whole demon possession thing was stupid. And I remember when the demon revealed itself in the window. It was just such a ch- a cheap hokey effect. But anyway, it's been on for fifty five years. <laughs> a pretty lot incredible. of people love this show. It airs on Global TV at two o'clock in the afternoon, and the cast has reportedly been released from contracts. Variety says it's going on an indefinite hiatus at the end of November, but there's another headline here at TV Insider. The stars are reassuring fans amid this shocking hiatus, and they say they're just taking a break from filming. There's enough. They've shot enough to like last into the summer of 2020. Yeah, like oh, six, I don't doubt seven, it eight months ahead, right? Soap operas, like, you can... You can we could go wa- watch that today and be like right back into it because the storylines move so slowly. Like the clothes they must wear for days on end. It's the same ja- leather jacket. Like poor Bo. In the <laughs> yeah, leather but how come the kids? Pants. How come the kids can go from being five years old to like twenty one in a matter of three weeks? Because they got to change those storylines. Yeah. But are there a lot of soaps left? Like it's been a long time since I've had afternoon television on. Is General Hospital still around? I think so. Oh, I Y&R is still a staple. Bold, Ge- Bold and the Beautiful? Oh, did General Hospital go to online only or something I, yeah, crazy like something that? Something happened with General Hospital, I well, think. Well, Luke or- and Laura, once they left, it was all downhill. For <laughs> like them. Another World's Gone, Guiding Lights. Yeah, I forgot about Another World. All yeah. My Children. Like, a lot of those soaps oh. are done. But right now, we got to talk football. Yes, we're going to talk football with Derek Taylor, the voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I'm taking a deep breath. Derek, you know I have deep love and respect for you and your family. <laughs> but, but my gloves are off this week, bud. <laughs> Who is Corey? What, I, I'm jumping right in here. Who is Cody Fajardo trying to kid with all this stuff in practice yesterday? Couldn't throw the ball long. I'm going to be really careful with my back. There's nothing wrong with him, right? Oh no, he's he is in pain. When it was between uh, the second last and the last game of the year, the second last game he looked he looked nice in Edmonton, and then on one of the days of practice when the media wasn't allowed to be there, uh, he got injured, and we didn't know about it till the next day. And we said, "Well, what happened?" He said, "I was throwing a ball, and it felt like I got stabbed, and I fell to the ground." And so he he hurt his oblique in some fashion. There's speculation because people have said it's torn no it's just injured well whatever it might be so he's got some problem with his side that really limits him sat out 
the final game of the season, has rested, and for the first time threw a ball yesterday that, that we saw. So he is really injured. He insists he's going to play. He says it's the playoffs. My first year as a starter, I'm going to play. But when you start researching, you know, torn oblique and strained oblique, you really get a kind of a sick feeling in your stomach if you're a Riders fan because torn oblique is a real serious injury. If that's what it is, oh, boy. Well, Greg's been shaking his head while you've been talking. I just want to let you know because he had the, <laughs> he had this theory that, you know, players don't really usually talk at length about their injuries, right? They don't come out and say much more than, yeah, you know, I've got something bothering me in my back or my side, and they leave it at that. And because he was so effusive about what's going on, his theory was that this is part of, a, part of the overall game, so to speak, the theatrics leading to Sunday. And you're saying no, definitely real deal. No, Fajardo and Coach uh, Craig Dickinson are just kind of, they're different cats. Like, Cody is, is actually honest, and he won't tell you everything, but he tells you a lot of stuff. And he's holding back now on injuries and stuff. Since after the season, you, you tell me, you ask me, and I'll tell you all the injuries I've had. But he'll actually let you in on strategy and kind of what to expect from the opponent, as opposed to, I tried to ask uh, Coach Mike O'Shea a question, and just the look of him, like, really? Really? You think I'm going to answer that? No. There's no <laughs> chance of answering that. Here's six words. Boom. We're done. So, uh, Fajardo's just, he's a different kind of guy, and he doesn't feel like he has to be super protective. Obviously, there's some stuff he'll keep to himself, but no, he's, he's really open and honest, and it's really, as a journalist, I mean, as you guys know, it's fantastic that way. Yeah, it's great theater. So apologies for not setting up this segment properly, but I had to get right into it with you, DT. Derek Taylor, the longtime colleague of ours here at Global Winnipeg at 680CJOB, a regular contributor to the sports show once upon a time, and now the voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Super proud of you, man, for for accomplishing and, and achieving this dream of, of becoming a play-by-play guy in the CFL. That aside, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Saskatchewan Rough Riders that are fans don't like each other very much, and that's historical. But the first time they're meeting in the West Final since 1972, this is going to be fascinating stuff, right? Well, and and then the storyline of the starting quarterbacks, right? Zach Kalaros was the was the starter for the Riders this season. We were at training camp in Saskatoon in May, going, "Oh yeah, look how Zach looks. He's going to bounce back from those injuries and all the no more cheap shots, and this is going to be a great year." Three offensive plays into the season. Cheap shot to the head. He's out. Cody Fajardo, this virtual, at least to, to a lot of football fans, virtual unknown because he'd run more quarterback sneaks than through passes to that point in his career. And he'd been in the league for, for multiple years. But, oh, boy, what's going to happen? Cody explodes out of the scene, almost 800 yards in his first two games. Oh, my goodness, this guy, it's the savior that Saskatchewan needs. Zach gets traded and gets traded again and then manufactures that incredible upset in Calgary. And now Zach, who started the season as the Riders' hero, is you know this great villain who's going to walk back <laughs> into Mosaic Stadium on Sunday and try to take the Riders out from one of their best seasons in recent memory. It's the storyline is just—it's incredible. So, 2007, the Bombers and the Rough Riders play one another in the Grey Cup. Kevin Glenn gets hit injured in the East Final, and Ryan Dinwiddie ends up starting. And of course, forever until they play one another in the Grey Cup, 
Riders fans will have this over Blue Bombers' heads, no matter if the Bombers won every Labor Day Classic and Banjo Bowl till the end of time. They'd always have this. But it's funny because you mentioned Caleros and how he got to Winnipeg exactly the same way Kevin Glenn did. Glenn was traded from Saskatchewan to Toronto and then moved to Winnipeg, and that's exactly what happened to Zach Caleros. So is there is there extra incentive for Caleros? He's downplaying it somewhat. He's buying into it a tiny bit. What do you think that, that the motivation is going to be there for Caleros to come in there and say, uh, you guys picked the wrong one? I don't think that there should necessarily be incentive for Caleros because there, there was nothing else the Riders could have done at that point, right? They Six games in, uh, if there was a chance Caleros could have come off the injured list at that point, there was at that point, Cody Fajardo was clearly going to be the starting quarterback of the team. He had clearly shown, yes, look at this stuff I can do. I'm an incredibly accurate passer. I can run the ball as, as a great threat. And we've we've thrown for 300 yards a couple of times, and, and this team works. So, you know, it was a chance. They said at the time, Jeremy O'Day, the, the rider GM, gives him a chance to go play, talking about Kalaros to, to uh, Toronto. He can go play. And then Kalaros never played in Toronto, right? He was not healthy enough for Toronto's sake to go and play. So then he gets moved on to Winnipeg for a chance to play. So I don't, I don't suspect there's any, any issues that, that uh, Kalaros has with how he was treated by Saskatchewan. And now it, it's kind of worked out the best for everybody, right? He gets to play. He gets to show people, oh, hey, by the way, I can hum deep balls to Darvin Adams for 71 yards to take out what you all thought was the best team in Calgary. And now I get to do this. So I, I can't imagine there's any extra because it's Saskatchewan, but for, for uh, Kalaros, it's, hey, uh, I'm here. I was the best player in the league in 2015. Look at this. And when it comes to uh, quarterback for next season, you should pay me a very nice six-figure salary because I'm still awesome at football. Before we let you go, Derek, uh, you know we love this rivalry. Greg loves the rivalry between the Riders and Bombers. You spent well over, I think it's 14 years in Winnipeg. You were here for some time before Toronto, born in Alberta. Do you ever get your allegiances no. questioned, particularly when it comes to a Bombers-Riders matchup? Oh, yeah. whatever you. Just a tip for you guys. If you're, uh, you're going to take a job at radio in Saskatchewan, don't refer to the Riders as the Bombers accidentally because you will get yelled at. <laughs> Not that you would know, you wouldn't know that personally. You've just heard, right? Oh no, I've stumbled a couple of times <laughs> because you'll be talking about one team, and then you'll refer to the riders as the bombers because you were having a ten-minute conversation about Andrew Harris, and people will get mad at you. Yeah, that's uh, that's just how it goes. It's uh, no, honestly, uh, I, I kind of I tried to drop off of being a sports fan when you cover it because you don't want to get too much caught up into it. You want to keep some sort of impartiality. Uh, but it's it is impossible to fully let it go. So it's it can be it can be tough sometimes. Is there extra excitement leading into this game? I mean, obviously it's exciting enough that the Riders are hosting this game, but the fact that it's the Bombers, how are people reacting to that? Oh yeah, everybody wants to see everybody here wants to see the Bombers get crushed underneath their their heel for sure. It it, it, it would have been the same with Calgary though. Like there's a real what I didn't expect. I always thought being from Winnipeg, that, oh, the, the Bombers are the Riders' true true rival. And while it may be true, there's a lot of hate for the Calgary Stampeders. Like, people were da- like virtually dancing in the streets that Bo Levi Mitchell had such a terrible game against the Bombers. Good for him. Now take that headband off and send it away. Like, 
wow, they they hate the color red here. So <laughs> I, I have a pair of red shoes that I have to be very careful not to wear on the wrong day because <laughs> – I will again get yelled at. It's funny because at the uh, at the Heritage Classic, there was one chant that all the fans in the stands could agree upon, and I think you were there, Derek. It was Oilers suck. Jets fans <laughs> and and Flames fans alike uh, were partaking in that, and so Stampeders, uh, not uh, beloved by Blue Bomber or Saskatchewan Rough Rider fans at all. Thanks for this, DT. Thanks for having me, gang. Derek Taylor, the voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, joining us live on 680 CJOB ahead of Sunday's game, CFL West Final. Bombers visiting the Saskatchewan Rough Riders pregame at 1 o'clock, kickoff at 3.30. The question of the day at CJOB.com, brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. With all the negativity online, have you ever considered quitting social media? And so far, 56% say yes, 29% say I've taken breaks, 10% say no, I'm hooked, and 5% say I tried to quit, but I came back. You can cast your vote at 680cjob.com. We've also put that poll up on our Twitter, at 680cjob as well as similar polls, yes or no polls, on Facebook and our 680CJOB Instagram story. We have a man in studio, Loren McNabb, who has done just that. Yeah, and his tweet came by yesterday. His last tweet, I think, uh, that I saw anyway. It might have happened a few days ago, but I was scrolling through my feed. After what's been a pretty negative week for many people, like anything on social media you read this week, whether it's about Don Cherry or Fire Jess Allen or whatever else is making you upset, is really disheartening. And so David Robertson, who we have in often, is a well-known, renowned Manitoba author. You write for a living. Uh, but you're talking about not writing on one social medium. So first of all, good morning. Morning. Thanks for coming in. Uh, your Twitter handle now says <laughs> Dave's taking a little break. That's right. Tell yeah. us about that. <laughs> well, I was, you know, it's, it's just kind of like was I was sitting there one morning, you know, over my Apple Jacks, eating breakfast, you know. <laughs> As yeah. one does. Yeah. Yeah. Good pull. I like it. You know, and I, I'm, I'm thinking like, what am I doing here? You know, what? What? So there's so much negativity happening. You know, there's a, you know, for me, a lot of it was around the Toronto Public Library stuff, and I was reading all the, you know, transphobia and um, all that was happening there, and it was, it was just all, you know, it was it was like a breeding ground for hate, and it was a breeding ground for um, um, all this divisive stuff that was happening, and I, and I and I was getting pulled into it, and and I you know, and I just thought, do I is that really what I want to do with my with my time? Do I really want to? And 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 really, have I ever changed anybody's mind by by a tweet with a tweet? You know, and I, I don't, I don't really think I have. I mean, I, I'll send out tweets that, you know, when when the APTN National News Show, uh, the APTN Show uh, First Contact came out, I think I came and talked to that, and it was, uh, I was talked about. I put a big thread about it, what I didn't agree with it, and I had everybody who agreed with me already, you know, liking and retweeting, and, and but then I had a lot of people coming on there, um, you know, saying a bunch of racist stuff and uh, to me, and I and I thought like, what what did I accomplish there, really? You, you beat yourself up is what you end up accomplishing, yeah. and you end up screaming into this echo chamber. Well, I, you know what I thought last night? It's like it's like a political debate. You know, like, you, I don't know if you what the the last what, really the last political debate where Justin Trudeau and um, and Sheer and and Singh they're all yelling at each other, and and no one was. No one could understand what anybody was saying. Nor you know? did they care to understand. <laughs> no, no, like that's what happens, right? right? Absolutely. You're responding only to prove or try to prove your point or or to make somebody mad. But you don't care. 
You don't. You don't. What I the mean, result of that is? No, you don't. And it didn't. It didn't change anybody's mind. You know, I, I really don't think so. I so I, I, I want to. I stepped away because I, I, I wanted to think about what I'm there for, and what I want to accomplish on there, what I want to do on there, and what I want to what I want to get away from. You know, I had conditions before about what I would not would tweet about before, mostly sports, as I would not tweet about the bombers, I would not tweet about the jets. You know, I want, and then now I'm just like, what? I just don't want to get into the, any of that negative stuff. You know, and, and I want to think about. You know, uh, where I really get my work done is going to be with my writing uh, and meeting people face to face. And I think that's where I can really uh, make a difference, where I can really change minds and talk to people. And I think Twitter is great for social activism. It's great to mobilize people, but I think it's also destructive. But it's also a thing, too. We were talking this morning, like, would we get stay on these platforms if it wasn't for our jobs and the way you need to reach out to people or react to things or garner opinions? And it's also for you as an author trying to share your work. It's a platform that's probably helped with that in some ways. And so there's the positives, but then the, it, right now for you, the negatives outweigh all that. Yeah, it's a, it, it's kind of like um, it's a necessary platform for me to use to promote my work. Um, I really have to be on there. But for now, I just feel like it's it's good to step back and just to, to be in a more positive frame of mind. I have a lot of work to do too, so um, I, I really don't really want to be wasting time on there, getting involved with stuff that's upsetting me or making me feel like, you know, uh, not really great. And uh, and honestly, I was looking at my screen time this morning, just as an aside, like it's an offshoot. I'm like, I went down four hours average a day, you know, which is crazy. By quitting just one, just 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 by quitting Twitter. Why only Twitter? Uh, well, I, I just <laughs> just like read outside. You know, Instagram seems like a little bit of a different app. Like, I, I don't see a lot of negative stuff on there. You know, I tweet about, you know, Brett tweets about his suits, his stuff he's trying on. His eyebrows, I, maybe, his, even yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. My eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. I think I follow you all on there. And, and it's kind of like I can tweet about, you know, I'm writing at hockey, and I take a picture of myself at hockey. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'll post little stories about my son and our, my kids. And, and it seems like it's, a, it's, a, it's, to me, experientially, it's a more positive environment to be in. I don't really see this. I don't get it's the same kind of feeling as I do on Twitter. It seems different. I don't know if you guys think so. But oh, yeah, I, the vitriol you know. on Twitter is uh, absolutely almost unbearable, clearly, yeah. by the action you've taken. And, Brett, I think you agree that Instagram is mostly a, a positive environment. Yeah, and it's just fun. You know, I think people yeah. go on Instagram for fun, and they post just little updates about their day, like the, the story function I really enjoy, because if you're, you know, whether if you just want to post random things you're doing, or if you're actually doing something and you want to tell the story of your day, you can make it positive, and if people react, I, I would say like 99% of the reactions are positive. People mm-hmm. just generally don't seem to be... Uh, angry on Instagram. No, I, I think you're right. You know, even when, I, yeah, when you post stories, I don't know if you get the same thing, but people like will, will reply with like clapping hands yeah. and mm-hmm. hearts and hugs. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like, I like that. I want more hearts and hugs, you know? <laughs> we need more hearts and hugs in this day and age, right? So, like in your. <laughs> In your lifetime, you know, when it comes to negativity that's been sent your way, yeah. um, has it come from an, out of nowhere in the past, or is that more allowed on social media, where you could be, say, tweeting about your book, and then someone will come at you with just a racial slur or something like that, and it has nothing to do with what you're talking about? Is that Have you experienced that, I guess what I'm trying to ask, is in just life in general, or is it this just a forum where it's allowed to say, I, I can't see you, you can't retaliate to me, you don't know me, so therefore I get to be racist or rude or mean? I think as someone from like a marginalized group, it's happened in life. Um, you know, I've been fall around stores before. I've, I've I've experienced all that, but I definitely think that it's happened. It's enabled more on social media. It's enabled more on Twitter. I think that people more are more empowered to be able to do that on, on platforms like that because they can be anonymous. 
You know, they can feel like they're less accountable for what they say. Does that scare you in the sense of, because I'm wondering if, say, five years ago, you felt like there were some bad people in the world, but you, what, you weren't experiencing it all the time. And then when you move on to a, a social media platform and you hear all that, you're like, wait a minute, is the percentage I had of a-holes, for lack of a better word, far, <laughs> far higher than I knew it to be? No, I, I, actually, I, I don't think so. I think, I think, like I said, I think it's where, where they go. You know, there's, there's a lot of great people on there, but a lot of people go there because they feel that they can, just like on comment sections on, on, on websites, you know, when, when, when media allows comments on, on articles, um, people feel like they can go there to say what they want to say anonymously and, and, they, can, um, and they can say some pretty rude, terrible things. Um, but I, I'm lucky enough to be able to, you know, go across Canada and talk to people face-to-face and know, there are a lot of amazing people out there too, and so that's where I want to focus my time is is talking to people face to face and not enable. I, and I, I think to answer your question, like um, a lot of it's prompted. So if I'll, if I'll talk about an issue that I feel is important on Twitter, um, it also enables people to come and and be contrary and and even racist um, back to me. You know, and first contact was a great example. I had someone come on there and say, "Well, you you Indians would all be uh, wiped out if it weren't for us people, us colonizers." And so, and that would never would have hit me if I hadn't spoken out. And I thought, what did I accomplish there? If, that, if that's happening, what what else? What could I do better? What could I do differently that would be more effective? Not the road you were trying to build. Was it wasn't what I was trying to do? Yeah. Mackling McGarry and McNabb. We're talking to David A. Robertson. He has quit Twitter for a little while. He is a Winnipeg writer, and he just got sick of the negativity and needed a break. And you say it's liberating. I found it liberating. I found it liberating to clean out my entire timeline and just, when I come back, if I come back, just uh, start from fresh. So like, you Marie Kondoed your, uh, your timeline. <laughs> That's right. It was not bringing him joy. <laughs> no joy. It was not. No, I wanted to see a blank page and where I could like start something new. We were saying this morning, you know, it was, we all struggle with the negativity you see sometimes on social media or whether you get the likes or, or don't get the likes. And you're a dad and I'm, I, I'm curious to know what your message is to your kids in light of all this, if they are on social media, but how to deal with that. Because if we in our forties or fifties or sixties struggle with it, what's a, what's a 12 or 15 year old feeling? Yeah, I think it's a tough time for them. Uh, it can be. Um, we've actually been able to to moderate, you know, what they what they where they're on and what they use on social media so far. Mostly, I think it's Snapchat that they're they're using. I don't know if that's really qualifies as social media. I think it probably does. Um, but they so we monitor who they have as friends on there, who they're talking to, what they're saying. You know, my wife has access to all their accounts that she can kind of monitor. Um, they're not they're, they're on Instagram, but they're with pri- they have private um, they're private accounts, so they only let people follow who they know. Um, they're not on Twitter, so we're kind of in a way shielding from them from that right now. Um, and um, and when they do get on there, um, I think we'll we'll do the same thing. We'll be very diligent about how you know how they're interacting, who is interacting with them, and what they're saying because you know kids I don't think can deal with the same sorts of things that we can. I think it's difficult for us as adults, you know. So uh, I think we have to be preparing our kids to be able to um, introduce themselves to the world of social media. Managing their expectations and and what's meaningful in life, I think it's different now. I mean, I've only parented in this era, but I grew up in a different one, oh, yeah. and so we compare the two all the time. Uh, maybe to a fault, right? Back in my day, it's not back in my day. It is today, and so we have to grow with that experience because that's the reality that our kids are living in now. Yeah, and I think it's just like preparing them, educating them, having ch- chats with them because we can't avoid it. You know, they're going to be there. They're going to be on there at some point. And so um, it's making sure they know how to deal with it. 
So no yeah. more characters are being typed into Twitter, at least for the next foreseeable f- future. What are you writing and working on right now? I, that's the thing is like I said with the screen time, it gives me like four hours more a day, right? So yeah, we should have like nine more books from you by the that's end of the good. year. I have a, I have actually a couple of books out next year. One of them is a middle grade novel called The Barren Grounds. Um, coming out with Puffin Books um, in the fall next year, uh, and a graphic novel as well, which is a continuation of my, the Reckoner trilogy. Um, we were continuing his story as a graphic novel series. Uh, that middle grade series is actually a trilogy, so there'll be one coming out every year for the next three years. Uh, and I also have a memoir um, about my dad and I that I'm working on. That'll be out winter next year. So, yeah, I have, a, I have a bunch of stuff I'm working on. So, like, not having that distraction is also good, as, aside from just being away from negativity, just being away from my screen. Your editor is listening, you know. The timelines <laughs> just got tighter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I was thinking the answer would be, like, one thing, but he's got nine things on the go. Yay, yay to no Twitter. Well, it's free, it's freed up my time for sure, and and I'll probably saved my eyes. D A Robertson C A is the website. David Alexander Robertson. He is a presenter. He is an author, and he is taking a break from Twitter. Make sure you cast a vote on that question. Have you ever thought of quitting social media? At cjob.com and on all of our social media platforms. David, thank you for bringing this to our attention, and thanks for stopping by for a visit. Oh, thanks for having me. It's always nice to be here. Don't take a break from us. I would never do that. Appreciate that. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.